were living. And Paul very pointedly says, you, Timothy, are to live differently. Don't live like these people. Instead, be equipped, be strengthened, maintain your relationship with God. In essence, we see the same truth that we see throughout the Bible. We look all the way back to Genesis 3.15, from the very beginning after the fall, and God is making promises and, and telling, giving curses and promises to Adam and Eve. And he says to Eve, from you, Eve, from the seed of the woman will come one who will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. These two lines. It's the same thing we see in Timothy, this path, one marked by disloyalty and false religion, the other marked by steadfastness, godliness. Paul is calling Timothy to endure despite the reality that there will be persecution and suffering. And he wants to equip him for this task. And he points him to several things. He points him to himself as an an example. What he knows about his teaching to his childhood. So as we come to our text today, we're going to see three points. Paul's teaching, Paul's persecution, and Paul's example. Paul's Teaching, Paul's persecution, and Paul's example. Let's begin by looking at Paul's teaching. This first word here, you, really is uh, distinguishing where we've come from and where we're going. Uh, This list last week that we talked about, he says, you, however, you, Timothy, have to do something different. It's creating a separation between these vices and the Christian. You, Timothy, be called who you are meant to be. And this should determine your manner of living. And so the first thing that Paul does is point to himself. And he he gives several characteristics of his own life. However, you, you, however, have followed my teaching. This is the first thing he points him to. You followed my teaching. And in fact, we know this is true about Timothy. Timothy, who had either co-written or co-sent six of the letters of Paul. He had been with Paul. He had uh, labored alongside him. He delivered his messages. Timothy knew what Paul had taught. And he's calling him. To this. It's the same call he's reminding us. You know what I've taught. We have what Paul taught the churches. We have his letters. His theology about who God is and what God requires of us. Remember, know my teaching. Not only this, he says, you've observed my conduct. Conduct being the way that Paul lived. He says, you've seen the way I've lived. And this comes with everything, all that he went through, all the persecution he endured, how he responded to that persecution, how he responded to shipwreck and and, and being beaten and all these other things. He says, you know my conduct. You know my aim in life. It's his goal. What have I sought to do? 
as he kind of summarizes up in Romans 15, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Paul's aim, Paul's goal, his desire was to preach the gospel. He never recoiled from any of the hardships that came with preaching the gospel. He goes on to say, you know my faith. He knew what Paul believed in, what Paul trusted in. In fact, we've seen even in in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, these two letters, this message, 1 Timothy 1, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Earlier in 2 Timothy 2, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Timothy knew the faith of Paul. He says, you knew my patience, this fruit of the Spirit, this endurance that comes. Be patient. He said, you knew my love, this human love that rested on the redeeming love of Christ. It's a call to love others well. You know my steadfastness, especially in persecution and suffering. He had endured much, but he had persevered. He was steadfast. All this and more Paul is calling us to. And it's it's a quick list, right? It's almost in many ways different than the list we saw last week, which was somewhat exhaustive. But he says, you know my, he's reminding him, you know my teaching, my conduct, my goals, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, all of it. In fact, he reminds him, uh, Paul is pointing here to Acts 13 and 14, different times in which he had been persecuted. We won't look at all three of these, but one example of this is what he endured in Lystra. He was stoned, he was beaten, he was dragged to the city, left for dead, and yet God kept him and sustained him. He was steadfast in all of this. The Lord rescued him. Paul is saying, look, you should expect hardship. You should expect persecution. You should expect suffering, both physical, spiritual, all of it. But you must endure. In some ways, we can look at the life of Paul and we can put it up there on that pedestal, right? Paul lived quite the life. He labored for the gospel. He was going all over the place and endured all kinds of things and we can say well we don't suffer like Paul suffered do we I think we do it's easy at times for us to get discouraged and just burdened by the things that we're going through I even thinking about this sermon at Thursday night I was doing good all day Thursday I get home Thursday night get everybody in bed we go to bed about 12 30 I just woke up and I was sick till six in the morning I was just sick. And I remember in the middle of the night just laying there as my feeling sick. I'm not going to go into details of it. Uh, And just being like, God, can we just stop this now? I'm done with this. It was a long night. I finally get, and then, you know, but the life goes on and I finally get some sleep. And then I, what do I do? I get up at 1030 and a little bit later than I normally get up about four hours later, but I need some sleep. And then I come to the church and I'm like, I have a sermon to write. So I get in there and I write my sermon and I come home and I'm just exhausted. And, and in some ways we go, okay, well, that's, that's life, right? And it is. But it's discouraging. It can be a weight upon us as we go through these different things. And that's, 
that's just kind of external things, let alone any of those sufferings that we endure from other people. If it's true from a physical standpoint that just the physical weight of the world can weigh on us, how much more true is it from a spiritual standpoint? There is much that we endure in this life as we live out our faith, it can lead at times for, for us to be isolated from those around us. We can take unpopular stands at times. We might even push away family and friends. They might reject us. But Paul says, remember, remember the word of God. You have a valuable resource in the face of such hardships. Look to its teaching, its truth. Look to its examples of faith. I love Hebrews 11. It's one of those passages that's meant a lot in my life. Uh, from the time I got into college, I remember I was in a Bible study, a freshman Bible study with RUF, Reform University Fellowship, when I got to Southern. Uh, this freshman Bible study at the time was me and the leader. It was just the two of us. So I guess it's a Bible study, but it was just the two of us. And we spent the whole semester going through Hebrews 11. These heroes of the faith. We have these examples set before us. We can see how they endured hardship, hardship and trial. We can see how they lived counter to the world that they lived in. We follow after these truths. Don't be lovers of self, as Paul said last week. Don't be lovers of money. Remember the conduct of godly living. Remember the teaching of the word of God. But then more than this, Paul points us to his persecution. And we saw this in part, what he endured at Lystra. But he said, look, this is not just something that's happened to me. We look at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I think there's times where I would like to, to go to someone who's preaching the health and wealth gospel and say, Hey, what about this passage? When you say that God just wants me to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, what do you do with passages like this? If you're going to follow, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's one of those important words, will, isn't it? It doesn't say might be persecuted. It's will. It is a certainty. If you're going to live after Christ, you will be persecuted. Without exception. And this can be overwhelming, or at least can maybe be tempted to overwhelm us. How are we to live in such a world in which we know we will face persecution? Particularly when we look at the world around us and we see it as an evil place. And Paul says this, look. While evil people and apostles, this is verse 13, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. These people will persecute you. But really what he gives here is a message of hope about the wicked. They're going to move from bad to worse. And you go, well, how is that hopeful for me? If they're going from bad to worse, doesn't that just mean their bad to worse is going to trickle down upon me? But then he goes on to say, well, they're going to be deceiving, but they're also going to be being deceived. It's almost a built-in restraint, one commentator says. They not only deceive, but they also deceive each other. 
It's that truth, right? Once you are established as a liar, who trusts you? This is true, universal truth. They're going to be imposters, yes. They're going to be evil people and they're going to be deceiving and being deceived. And this is going to be going in the world all around you. They may look like believers, they may sound religious, they may have the appearance of religion. But they are liars, they are frauds, they are deceivers, they are imposters, they have led many astray. Know that the world will at times criticize us, oftentimes criticize us. And this is not to say that it won't affect us, it will. But we must not follow after the evildoer. Paul endured his hardship and we must endure hardship as well. And while it might be tempting to be overwhelmed with the evil that we see in the world around us, We have to take hope. We cannot allow it to overwhelm us. We must endure. Knowing these persecutions will come. But also knowing that the Lord rescues us. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. We must continue in what we've learned. It's, a, it's, a, it's an endurance. In other places, Paul re- references this to a marathon. We have to run the race that is set before us. We have to endure. Knowing that the Lord rescues us. And then he points Paul, or Paul, I should say, points Timothy to one more example. This is our third and final point, Paul's example. And it's not the example of himself. He's already given him that example in his teaching. He points Paul to what, or Timothy to what he's learned. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What Paul is doing is saying, hey, remember your mother. Remember your grandmother. Remember all that they taught you. Paul commends Timothy's family for teaching him. It's a commendation to all mothers and fathers who do the same. It's a call to teach the very word of God. I think I was flipping through Facebook last night and I saw uh, Jordan Hazelwood post something that said something that, uh, to the effect of, I hope my children have boring testimonies. It was something to that effect. I think that's right. Is that right? It was. I was thinking it could have gone a different way. Yeah, it could have gone a different way. Right. <laughs> Isn't that a good thought? I hope my children have boring testimonies. I hope that they don't have to get to the point in their life where they're like, This is my testimony, how I went to the lowest of lowest at the bottom of the bottom before I turned and bowed the knee in faith and repentance. We need to teach and grow our children in the faith. And so we need to to turn them to Scripture. To teach them that it should be firmly believed in. That it is the truth of God's Word. 
that it is holy and it makes us wise for salvation. And we know that instructing our children will come with opposition, not only from the world, but even at times from our own children. They don't want to be taught at times. They'll resist it. But we should start young. Children need this truth. This instruction, as the Word of God says, leads to salvation. It's not a guarantee of salvation, but it is the path of righteousness. Believing comes through hearing. And so whatever our background, we should continue with godly instructors that God provides for us. Children, don't neglect what God has given you. Learn from your parents. Continue to learn from them. I tell you, to this day, Thursday night, we were having a meeting up here and there was a question about something theological. And on the way home, do you know what I did? I called my dad. Hey, Dad, what do you think about this? What are your thoughts? Continue to learn. Being like Christ is the goal of every believer. And so we have to learn from those who come before us. Our knowledge flows from this, from the character of God that we see in others. And so as we go to the, the, as he calls them, the sacred writings, as we see what they say, we can learn how we're to be. We're to learn about forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. We can learn about patience, Romans 2. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. We can learn that we're to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so on and so forth. We could go nonstop. And it's not that we come to the word or we think that the study of the word in and of itself can add to the sacrifice of Christ, can make us more holy. But we allow his sacrifice, his, the knowledge of him to shape who we are. To not let persecution move us from this. To call us to repentance. It's the core of the teaching of Scripture. So teaching, training is one of, not only of our children, I would say, but of ourselves is one of the most important things that we do in this life. Timothy, in his times of distress, is called to remember his training. I remember growing up in the church. I was talking about a little bit this morning. I grew up in the church from the very young age. My parents started in a PCA church right before I was born. And I grew up in that PCA church all the way to the time I left. And I went through catechism classes and I went through confession classes. And uh, even as I'm teaching the young kids in Sunday school, we're learning the children's catechism. I did all of that. And for a long time, I didn't really care two cents about what I was learning. I just didn't. It was being pushed into my head. I was being taught it. I was never allowed to not be there. But I didn't care about it. I didn't care about it until I did. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, I know this. I remember this. I know why this matters. My parents were equipping me for a life of faith. It's the same hope that I have with my children. And we labor and we get frustrated and we get tired of it sometimes. And I'm like, no, that's, 
Not how we live. That's not how we act. This is what we should do. We should tell the truth. We shouldn't lie. We can't treat people that way. We have to do this. And we're hoping, we're telling, and we tell them why. We say, look, this is what the Word of God says. This is why we do things. What is it? We try to teach them. What does it mean to glorify God? What does it mean to honor God? What does it mean to enjoy God? And I don't know that they're getting it now, but my hope is that one day, like me, they're going to have that light bulb moment and they're going to go, oh, oh, this is what they were trying to teach me. The goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so we look to the Word of God. We look to examples of the faith. We remember our training. If God has blessed us with it. In our time of suffering, in our time of soul distress, we look to the encouragement that we have been given. This is what Paul is saying. And it really... It's hard sometimes. I think it's, or maybe I should say it's easy. It's easy for us sometimes to look at a letter, look at the Bible and just go, all right, what's, what's going on here? I don't understand. When you, when you really read it as a letter, Paul in prison, getting about ready, to, he knows death is coming. And he, has, he calls Timothy again and again his son in the faith. And he's worried about him. He's worried about all the voices that are saying, don't trust Paul. Paul, look, he's being disgraced because he's about to die. And he's worried about him. He says, Timothy, understand, there's going to be all kinds of people. And they're going to be lovers of self and they're going to be lovers of money. You don't be that. You don't be that. And he even says, look look to me as an example and he talks about all these things, his teaching, his conduct, his aim of life, his love, his steadfast lift, and all of it. But ultimately, it is about God. To live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And if you're going to hold firm to this path, and it's true, right? I can say this with confidence to you today. If any here, I don't care how young you are, I don't care if you're little given or you're the oldest person in this room if you're going to live a godly life to live truly after the teaching that's found in the word of God you will be persecuted for that you will encounter opposition but Paul says remember, remember the word of God even when persecution will come Look to the examples of faith. To those in the Bible, to those in our own lives. It's by those examples that we're to see and learn how we're to live out our faith. There's a reason why I didn't finish out chapter 3 today. And you might be going, wow, we're right there at 15. Why didn't he just do 16 and 17 and be done with chapter 3? And we're going to look at that next week, but I want to give you kind of a teaser because it is the weightiness of what he says here. Because Paul is pointing Timothy to the reliability of Scripture. Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for you for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. 
that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We have before us the Word of God. The perfect, righteous Word of God that is good for us. Rely in it. Rest in it. Trust in it. And don't be pulled to and fro by the wickedness, the evil imposters, those who not only seek to deceive you, but are deceiving each other, who are trying to sell to you the truth, or the lie as a truth. Come and rely on the Word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come and we rejoice in your goodness, your mercy. Your call to us to come and rest and rely on the truth of your word. And in that truth, we see, of you, we see the, the, the message of your all-redeeming grace for us. The salvation that has been provided for us. So Lord, let us first come and rest in your truth and your grace and your mercy. That mercy, that grace that tells us that we are forgiven, that our sins have been removed from us. And then in response to that, Let's come in obedience and faith to your word. We ask and pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.